Good afternoon, everyone. Again, how's everyone doing? We have less people today, but I think we can kind of, kind of get kind of a little rowdy and excited. So Wayne is really good at saying amen a lot. So I need someone to step up and take that role today. So if someone's willing, Ashley, if you want to say amen. Amen, amen. That's a Southern girl right there. Amen. Well, you guys are looking good today. Uh, we are one week away from Easter here at Impact City Church, and we are excited. Easter is a big time. If there was ever a Super Bowl for the church, it was probably Easter. Christmas is great. Christmas is, is the birth of our Savior, but Easter is the death and resurrection and the actual you know coming of our Savior. It's a beautiful, beautiful time. And I don't know what kind of plans you have for Easter what you got going on. But next Sunday, we got a lot of great things. You might be planning to maybe go a couple Easter egg hunts around the city. There's a lot of great ones going on in different churches and stuff like that. Maybe you're planning on a family barbecue. Maybe it's like a tradition. Maybe you have traveling out of town to go see family, you know, wherever you're going to. Or maybe it's other family traditions. I know for my family, one of our traditions was we would spend Easter out on my grandpa's ranch, and we would go look for Easter eggs, and you were lucky if you didn't find a rattlesnake egg or an actual rattlesnake. And so those are just some fun traditions that we've had. I remember spending Easter into a lot of mesquite trees out in the middle of nowhere, you know, and not like in a city park, but actually in the woods, and it was so much fun. But hopefully, you're also planning on coming and staying, uh, coming to church on next Sunday, which would be great. If, if, if you're here today, I want to see you again next week. But hopefully, you're planning on coming and staying for the free barbecue and the family fun that we're going to have here back at church. But beyond all those things, because those things are all really great, I pray that you've taken some time this week as you go into the Holy Week. This is where Jesus came in on the back of the donkey when he comes into Jerusalem and everyone's shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, glory in the highest. When he's coming in, this is the start of the Holy Week. Palm Sunday, if you would speak, if you, if you uh, understand that Palm Sunday, I would hope that you would take some time to sit and reflect on the cross this week. To sit and reflect on the cross. And this is exactly what I want us to do here today. I want us to reflect on the cross. Before we get into all the traditions that we have, before we get into all the Easter eggs and the stuff that, you know, America has turned it into, before we get into all of the commercialized, you know, Easter things that we do, let's focus on the reason why we're here and where it all started on the cross. Now, next week, we're going to reflect on the grave being empty. That's going to be a great sermon. That's going to be a great time where we can reflect and sing hallelujah. Our Savior has risen next week. Um, But it's important for us to prepare for this week, for this upcoming week, by this week reflecting on the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross, the crucifixion and the torture that he endured on the cross. And I think it's important for us to do that. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark Chapter 15, we'll be starting in verse 21, Mark 15, 21. If you don't have your Bibles, there should be one under your chair. You're going to be on the screen behind me, the scriptures as well. If you're on Facebook, go ahead and log on to our Impact City Church Facebook page. The scriptures are posted online there as well. You can go ahead and read along while you're there. Go ahead and check in, invite someone to Easter service next Sunday while you're doing that. So as you're all turning there, uh, let me, uh, allow me to remind us uh, what has just been happening over the past couple of days in the life of Jesus? Jesus, about a week before this moment right now, he has ridden in on the back of a donkey into Jerusalem. He's coming in for the, the Passover week, the celebration of the Passover. And he's coming in 
And he rides in the back of a donkey, right? And as he's riding in the back of a donkey, people start to line the streets. And they, they make a line. They start to lay down palm branches in front of him. And so as he walks over there, they start shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to be the one who brings, blessed be the name of the one who comes. And they start shouting out all of these great praises for Jesus. And he's walking in. And the scripture says that he starts to cry a little bit because he knows that these people are eventually, in a couple of days, going to stop shouting Hosanna and start shouting, crucify him. And that's exactly what happens. Jesus rolls into town. He makes a whip. He clears out the temple. He gets kind of crazy up in there and people start to get upset with him. The chief priest, the high priest, the scribes, the Pharisees, all of those people start to kind of say, we got to get rid of this guy. And guess what? He is right here right now among us. This is our chance to get rid of him. So they all start going to Jesus one by one, the scribes and and the elders and the chief priests and the high priests, they all go to Jesus one by one. They start trying to kind of trap him with questions. And they start asking him all these twisted questions that are meant to kind of trap him and make him look like he's a bad guy so that they have something bad to say about Jesus. But they don't do that, do they? In fact, Jesus kind of punks them on everything that they say. Everything that Jesus is confronted with, he turns it around and puts it on them. It's totally cool. And he's able to do that, and he's able to to get out of all of those things. But it wasn't enough. You see, there was a a follower of Jesus named Judas. And Judas decided to betray his his master, Jesus. And he betrays him. And he goes and he tells the the Pharisees and the chief priests, where is Jesus going to be at at a certain time? And then they come over, and they, they find Jesus praying in the garden right after the Last Supper, the Passover. And as they gather around, Judas comes up to Jesus, and he betrays him with a kiss on the cheek. And Jesus is captured. He is arrested like a common criminal. We said that a couple of weeks ago, that it took a lot for him to do that. He had to shed his glory to even allow people, common men, sinful men, to even put hands on him. This is the Son of God, and they dragged him away. Jesus then went over, and he stood before a council of chief priests, elders, and scribes. And he's in front of all these people, and he, the Scripture says that he stood there condemned for us and our sake. And as he's standing there, all these other witnesses started coming around and say, we have seen him say this. We have seen him do that. And it was all lies. And in that moment, they condemned him to death. And so they couldn't actually put him to death because the whole city was under the rule of Rome. And so they had to go to the Roman governor, which was Pontius Pilate. And in the midst of Pontius Pilate, they go and say, we want him gone. We want him dead. And Pilate's like, what has he done? They came over and they give him all these false accusations. And Pilate was like, this guy has done nothing wrong. But yet there was a tradition where they would allow one criminal to go free every year for this, this festival week. And so the Pilate goes, I got the way out for Jesus. I'm going to set up Jesus who is squeaky clean, hasn't done anything wrong. And then I'm going to set up the worst of the worst, the baddest of the bad. I'm going to set up Barabbas. And Barabbas is going to be right there. It's going to be either Barabbas or Jesus. And the people who were once crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, started crying out, crucify Jesus and crucify him. And they actually picked Jesus over Barabbas. And we said that that was crazy. Because it's a direct reflection of what happens in our life. Whereas we are the ones who are guilty. We are the ones who are sinning. 
We're the ones who deserve to be on trial and put to death for our sin, for the wages of sin is death. In Romans, it tells us that. But yet Jesus came and took our place. Hallelujah. Great things. And so Pilate's job was to keep the peace among the people there uh, that was governed by Rome. And he chose to go with the crowd and, and listen to the crowd. And the crowd chose Barabbas. So they let Barabbas go. Jesus then gets sentenced by Pilate. And he is actually sentenced to be uh, flogged. And he's sentenced to be brutally beaten, uh, tortured, if you will, and punished for doing absolutely nothing. But it was all part of his plan. And so he goes and he gets tortured and then after they torture him, we said that they were attacking him, and the way they tortured him was with very brutal tools of torture. They said that it was a cat of nine tails, this, this, this long whip-like thing with lots of metal and bone and ceramic beads and, and actual hooks inside, and they would whip his back, and they would rip flesh off of him. And then after that, that's where we left him. It said that he was beaten, and then they were leading him to be crucified and this is where we find ourselves today in the story of jesus this is where we find ourselves he's being led away to be crucified and so if you have your bibles let's open up to mark 15 21 let's go ahead and get started it says and they compelled a passerby simon simon of siren uh, siren sorry simon of siren who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they, bought him, and they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixture of myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them, to decide which each of them should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription on the charge against him read, King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right, one on his left. And those who passed by derailed him, waging, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you who, who, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down there from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Let me just break this down for a moment here. Let's just kind of break this down. Because if you remember, we said that in the past that Mark was kind of one of those cut-to-the-chase kind of guys. So he didn't really give us too much details, but you know, you know, this right here, we need to understand the details of what is going on here. Because if you don't understand the details, it's very easy for us to simply just read over this text and say like, oh yeah, Jesus was murdered. Oh yeah, Jesus was beaten and he died. No, you need to understand the details of what is about to happen here. So typically when a person was was to be crucified, they would actually have to carry their own cross because crucifixion was a form of advertisement. It was supposed to be humiliating and painful all at the same time. The person carrying their cross was to be made an example in front of everybody. 
Now, Jesus was probably just carrying the cross beam. Now, the poles that are on the cross, so they're like 300 and some pounds. You know, they're really heavy, and those probably stayed there all the time. And what they would do, they would take the actual cross that goes across the arms, and they would shackle it to the back of the person, the victim who's going to be crucified, and they would tell him to carry that all the way up to where they were going to be crucifying him. So all these images you see of Jesus carrying this long cross across the city, they might not be very accurate there. But the point of it is made. Now the cross beam was not as heavy as the pole, but it was still pretty heavy, okay? And he was having to carry it under this beaten, weak, exhausted body of his already, because remember, he was actually beaten before that. The soldiers... um, were always there to look for someone. They had to look for someone to carry the cross for Jesus. If you remember that they said that they found Simon, so they couldn't use a Roman. They looked around, they couldn't use a Roman citizen because that would have been wrong. Romans don't do that. And, and it was all happening during the Passover week, so they couldn't use a Jew because if a Jew would have touched the cross, I mean, they would have been made unclean and, and uh, unpure for the whole week. So they had to find someone from the outside, a visitor. They found Simon from Cyrene. Side note, one of his sons, Rufus, was actually an early church leader. So I wonder if that moment that he met Jesus, and in that moment that he was carrying the cross for Jesus, did Jesus touch his life so much that he changed his life and went from Gentile to believer in God, and then that poured out into his family. And his son, Rufus, was one of the church leaders, the very first church that ever got planted. Just a little side note. So when they got to Golgotha, the soldiers would rip off the robe and they hung him on the cross between these two criminals. Now one of them was, was really mean. One of them, one of the criminals was, was always, the other scriptures say that it was spitting poison at him, cussing at him, insulting Jesus, making fun of him. The other soldier was a little more receptive to Jesus. And he started believing in Jesus. And on that day, whenever Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of the soldiers, the one who was more receptive to Jesus, actually gave his life and trusted Jesus. And Jesus says, on this day, you will be with me in paradise. Which is another great reflection of us. Is that when we come to know Jesus, we can either be one of the two uh, you know, criminals on the cross. We can be the one that rejects Jesus. Or you can be the one who follows Jesus and surrenders to Jesus. They also fashioned up a sign that said what his charge was. And they said, King of the Jews, okay? It was also an insult to all the Jews in the area. The Romans were just terrible about insulting the people around them. They insulted everyone around them. Now, you think that in this moment, when you and I think about this moment, we get quiet. We get quiet and we think this is an intense moment. This is our Savior, our God, our Redeemer hanging on the cross. And we get really quiet about it. But that wasn't the case that day. Everybody in the crowd was just insulting Jesus. They were mocking Jesus, making fun of Jesus, just laughing at the fact that this guy who said that he was going to be the king of the Jews is now hanging naked on the cross, bleeding out. And they were just laughing. They thought it was hysterical. And they thought it was so funny. They shouted insults at him. The people said, ah, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. They were mocking him. If you're so good, why don't you just save yourself? Come down from that cross. Come on, king of the Jews. Come on down from that cross. The priests and the, 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 the elders started insulting him as well. They kept saying to each other, you know what? He saved other people. He says that, that he has saved others. Why can't he save himself? Why can't he do that? You know why? Because he's not that great. 
See, he really isn't the Messiah. He really isn't that good. Just let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so we all believe. Like, listen, we will believe you, Jesus, if you can come down from that cross. Ha <laughs> ha, you're not even moving. It was insults and, and mockery. Jesus was enduring complete humiliation, hanging like a piece of meat on the cross, naked, the crown of thorns on his head, a mockery of his lordship, and everyone laughing at him. But let's talk briefly about the crucifixion. Because that wasn't even the hardest thing that he went through. You know, humiliation, humiliation wasn't the worst thing he went through. The crucifixion was the worst thing he went through. Let's talk briefly about it. It was a, a death penalty like no other, invented by the Romans at the time. It was meant to be the most humiliating, most painful way that anyone can sick, in their sick minds, come up with to torture and murder someone. It was a, a death that was uh, reserved for the lowest of lows of the only worst criminals possible. And yet here's Jesus, our Savior, our King, going through it. In fact, Roman citizens couldn't even be crucified unless Caesar himself, the, the head of the, the kingdom, if he said they had to. It was that bad that they wouldn't even allow their own citizens to be crucified. And this is how it all went down. A warning, it's going to get a little graphic here. See, they would first kind of, you know, how whenever you, you get to prepare a piece of meat, you have to tenderize it. This is exactly the same thing. They would prepare the victim to be crucified. They would take the victim, whoever it was, man or woman, whoever it was, and they would strap them to an altar. We said this last week. And as they were strapped, they would whip him with the, the, the whip that we talked about. And every time they would hit him, flesh would rip off from their back. Now, legally, they could not whip this man more than 40 times because at 40 lashes, they were considered dead. Because anything past that, no one would survive. The amount of blood loss would be too great. So you know what the Romans did here? They whipped him 39 times. Across the back, around the waist, over the shoulder, and across the face. Everywhere that they could hit with the whip, got hit across his arms. Blood running down, flesh ripped off like the attack from a bear or something like that. It was brutal. And that's how they would prepare the body because when they would hang them on the cross, they wanted them to be at their weakest so that they didn't have to sit there and watch someone die for a long time. They would beat them and beat them brutally like that. The body would release copious amounts of blood through all of the mutilated flesh. And when it was all over, the, fl- the victim would be thrown down to the ground when dirt would just come into the blood infecting it as well. They would lay them on the ground. They would bring the crossbeam in and they would strap his hands to it and over his shoulders so he could carry it to the final place of the crucifixion. Then as the victim was going over there, he had to endure every step of the way pain under all that, 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 that blood, under all that bleeding, under all that intense pain from their back, having to carry that heavy beam through the city, probably sometimes up to like six miles from where they, the governor's palace was to where the, the place of the skull was. It wasn't like carrying it from there to there. No, this guy had to walk with this beam across the city so that he could be publicly humiliated. In front of everyone to see that this guy was a criminal. And when he got to where the last place where they were going to crucify him, 
when they got there, the victim would hang on the cross. And they would lay him down. They would hoist him up to the cross. They would drive nails through the wrists and through the feet. Notice I said wrists, not hands. Because if there was a nail through your hand, the weight of your body would just slump down and the nail would rip through your flesh. No, to ensure a proper hanging of a criminal on the cross, the nail would go through the wrist. But in doing that, when the nail will go through the wrist, it also hits a very vital nerve. A nerve that when it hits you, causes your your hand to just naturally convulse into a claw-like state because of all the pain. The nerve that goes through here goes throughout the body and it sends out blistering, painful, fiery jolts of, of pain throughout your body. And that nail pierced not one wrist, but two wrists of Jesus. And then they took his feet and they crossed him over and they nailed one big nail right through the middle of his feet to hoist him up. And they hung him on that cross. And he was hanging there. And, and most people think that, that when you're hanging on the cross that you're, that you're just there. But what happens is your weight of your body starts to, to slump down. And as the weight of your body slumps down, your esophagus gets closed. And as your throat gets closed, the breath of air that, that has to come from your body cannot come out. And in turn, you, can, you feel like you can breathe in, but you can't exhale. And you start to suffocate. And in order to exhale, you have to pull yourself up on the nails that you're being hung on. You have to put all your weight, all the little bit of muscle you have on the nails that are on your feet. Push up, pull up on your arms, arch your back, try to get that breath. And that one breath may last you a little bit. And then you're back down again, suffocating. And Jesus went through this. Over and over and over again, agonizing pain time after time again. He did this for about three to six hours, some believe. Excruciating pain. You see, a lot of people believe that on the cross, Jesus bled to death. And that's not true. Jesus suffocated on the cross. His body ripped of every little bit of life that was in it. Every little bit of strength that he had slowly slipping away, suffocating and losing strength little by little. See, it was a much, much more uh, long death. Let's keep reading here in verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And on the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling out to Elijah. And some ran and filled a sponge with sour wine. They put it on the reed and they raised it up and gave it to him to drink, saying, let us see whether or not Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple, the veil of the temple, was torn in two from top to bottom. Let me, let me stop there real quick. Let me explain that. If you don't know what that is, there was a temple where people would go to pray and make sacrifices. And once a year, one of the chief priests would go past this veil. And this veil was to separate the, the common people from the Holy of Holies, the actual uh, sacrifice altar. And the only person who can go past that veil was the priest. And on this day, when Jesus Christ died, when he breathed his last breath, 
it says that the veil by itself ripped down in half so that everyone had access to God. That's what that's talking about. It says the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that and saw that in this way he breathed his last he said this he said truly this man was the son of god so there was a roman centurion and what this guy would do he would stand watch over the prisoners to make sure they were dead and once they were dead he would go and give reports back to caesar or to to Pilate. hey these guys that we convicted this morning they're finally dead and he was sitting there watching and as he saw jesus take his last breath he said Oh my goodness, surely this guy must have been the son of God. Surely there was something different about this guy. Verse 40 says, There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger, out of Joseph and of Solomon. And he was in Galilee, for, and they form, followed him to minister to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So there's a bunch of women around Jesus, a bunch of ladies who followed him and ministered to, to Jesus and the disciples, who actually got to witness all of this. So darkness falls over the land on the third hour as he's hanging on the cross. And in just a few hours, Jesus utters his last breath. And to that point, and even to the point of death, everyone around him was misunderstanding what he was doing there. They were saying, look, he's crying out to Elijah. And like, no, he's crying out to his father. And they were misunderstanding what his whole purpose and what he was doing there. And then that one soldier saw him and he made that declaration. Now you got to understand that one soldier, he had probably been around a lot of crucifixions. He had probably witnessed hundreds, if not maybe thousands of crucifixions in his career as a Roman centurion. But there was something different about this guy. There was something different about Jesus. Something about him that caused him to say, truly this is a son of God. And we'll get back to that guy here towards the end of the service. But I want you to just remember that. That there was something about this soldier, something about Jesus that caused this soldier to make this declaration. Let's go ahead and finish off the rest of the chapter. Verse 42. And when the evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who also himself was looking for the kingdom of God, took courage. He took courage and he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. See, that's that's the guy who was witnessing. And he learned from the centurion that he had been dead. And he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he had been laid. So all these people witnessed the death of Jesus. Everyone saw this. All these different people witnessed it. There was a centurion. There was the two robbers, all the chief priests. Everyone, there was the women. And then all these other people saw it, okay? And, 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 and there's a reason why, though, that Mark decides to purposely bring up the fact that there was many women in the area. See, at the time, women were socially marginalized. That is, they were pushed out of society. If you were a woman back in this day, you were viewed down upon. 
And so you would almost be pushed out. And your job was simply to have babies, take care of the home, and gather food. And that was your whole purpose. And so socially, they were kind of pushed out. But here on one of the most important days in history, they stand there with Jesus. Listen, this shows us that Jesus never pushed anyone away. Whereas the society will push us away for who we are. You might be struggling with some type of addiction. You might be going through something. Listen, you might have, you know, like a scarlet letter on your chest for some of the crazy things you've done in the past. But Jesus never pushed you away. You might get pushed away by your family. You might get pushed away by the world around you. They might call you some terrible, mean names. But Jesus will never push you away. You are not socially marginalized in the kingdom of God. Okay? I think that's why Mark put that in there. The other person who watched from a distance was Joseph of Arimathea. He was a respected leader of the council that, oddly enough, had just sentenced Jesus to die. See, Joseph didn't speak up for Jesus during the Sahedrin trial. He kept his mouth quiet. He feared death. Just like Peter, he betrayed Jesus at that moment. And just like me and you, we can go through the same thing. When Jesus needs us to step up from the most, we can choose not to say anything. But he comes back around, okay? And he goes to, the, to Pilate and he asks for Jesus' body. You gotta know that when Jesus died on the cross, something must have happened to Joseph. Something must have happened to Joseph that gave him such boldness. Because it says, with boldness, he went to Pilate and asked for the body. Why was this so crazy? Because oftentimes they would just leave the corpse to rot on the, on the beam. Why take it down? Why bury it? Let the vultures eat it up. But no, Joseph said, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to ask for the body. And he does, and he gets the body, and he had something that all the other disciples did not have. He had money. He was a guy who had money. He had a tomb laid out for himself, and he decided to put Jesus in instead. And so they wrapped up Jesus in linen cloth. And since it was the Passover, they couldn't prepare the body the way they should do with the ointments and the spices and everything that should be, you know, preparing for death, for the dead body to preserve it as long as they could. And so they put it in the tomb and they said, we'll come back later when the Passover is over after the Sabbath and we'll come over and do that. And then next week we're going to have your minds blown because he's not even going to be there. I hate to break it to you. Amen. There you go, Southern girl. All right. And that's where we leave the story today. That's where we leave the story. Jesus' body in a tomb. The hero has fallen all hope seems to be slipping away from the disciples this easter you're going to celebrate the rising of a great savior our great savior but let us not forget church that in order for our great savior to rise he must have first fallen he must have first gone through death and as you just heard it was a horrific death one filled with torture one filled with pain and humility. And like I said earlier, I think it's important for us to reflect on this death constantly throughout our lives because when we reflect on this death, it shows us certain things about us. When we think about the death of Jesus, when you actually look at the details about the death of Jesus, it shows us certain things about our lives. If you're taking notes, I want to give you three things that it shows us. The first one is this the death of Jesus on the cross shows us the seriousness of our sin. 
The death of Jesus on the cross shows us the seriousness of our sin. It tells us that our sin is so bad. Our sin is so serious that he took nothing less than the son of the utmost high God to come over and atone for our sin. The death of Jesus shows us that the Son of God was the only thing that nothing less than him could pay for the penalty of our sins. And when we think about that, we should have a severe reality check that when we sin, it is serious. No matter how big or how small, no matter how great or how minor of a sin we may feel it may be, it is serious. This is why I laugh when people say, you know, my sin doesn't hurt anyone. My sin doesn't hurt anyone. I'm addicted to whatever. I'm addicted to pornography. That doesn't hurt anyone. I'm addicted to alcohol. I'm a single. I'm, I'm alone. It doesn't hurt anyone. It's my life to throw away. I'm addicted to these things. You know what? I, I have pride issues, and my pride is my problem. Well, you know what? You can say that. But in reality, sin affects everyone. And if you look at Jesus on the cross and the death that he had to endure, I'd say it hurt that guy. I'd say it hurt him really bad. The death of Jesus on the cross shows us that it took a lot of sacrifice to atone and forgive us of our sin. The second thing that the death of Jesus on the cross shows us is that it shows us who Jesus really is. The death of Jesus on the cross shows us who he really is. Look at verse 37 again. Verse 37 through 39 says, And Jesus uttered a loud cry, and he breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the centurion who was stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last breath. He said, truly, this man was the son of God. Now, what do you think the centurion saw? Like we talked about this earlier, what do you think he saw at that moment? He's seen thousands upon hundreds of other crucifixions, we said. He's witnessed this all the time. This is his job. This is what he does. He's, he's, his job is to stand there and crucify and kill people all day long. And he has never said this before. But on this day, with this man, with this, this victim on the cross, he said, surely this guy is different. This guy is something, something different. He must be who he says he is. And what do you think he saw? I think he saw Jesus' radical love. For those who crucified him. I can imagine the centurion. The conversations with the people hanging on the cross. The conversations he must have had. People hanging on the cross must have been cursing at the centurion. Must have been yelling at the centurion. Must have been cussing them out. Getting angry. Getting mad at the people who crucified them. But this guy, this Jesus was different. He was praying for them. He was pleading, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's different. That's radical love. He was on the cross looking down, looking at his mother, telling the disciple that he loved the most. Take care of my mom. She is now your mom. Take care of her. Make sure that everything is okay with her. You are now her son. Take care of her. The last thing I'm thinking about when I'm on the cross is other people. I'm thinking about myself and how I got myself in this predicament. But Jesus' concern was for other people. I think the centurion saw what kind of a radical love he had while he was hanging on the cross. I, I mean, who, 
prays for the forgiveness of the people who murdered him. That was, that was over their heads. Which brings me to the last thing about Jesus' death. Is that this, that the death of Jesus on the cross shows us that we are forgiven. That we are forgiven. And no matter how messed up you are in your life, no matter how dirty your sin may be, no matter how lustful of a mind you may have, no matter how twisted of a heart you may have, no matter what kind of selfishness dwells in your heart, and we all deal with that in different ways, no matter what is in you, Jesus' death shows us that he went through the most maximum extreme torture to bring forgiveness to you and me. You can't say that Jesus didn't suffer enough for us. You can't say that he just half-heartedly went up there and did this job for us. He gave us everything. And when we reflect on the death of Jesus, we can know for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that if he endured that much pain and torture for us, he must have forgiven us. Because he endured it to the end. See, God looked down all over creation, and he knew that we would rebel against him. God looked down all over creation and he knew that we would seek after the passions of our selfish desires more than we would seek after him. He knew that. So he made a way by sending Jesus down to earth to live among us for 33 years to learn how to pursue, how to serve, how to love his bride. For 33 years, Jesus pursued us. Husbands, And those who are fixed to be husbands, we need to continue to pursue our wives. If it took Jesus 33 years before he got it right, it's going to take us a lot longer, okay? Side note. But he came and he pursued us for 33 years. And then he died on the cross for us. And ultimately, to rise up again, defeating death and sealing our forgiveness forever in eternity with the blood of his perfect spotless lamb, Jesus Christ. There's a prophecy in Isaiah that talks about it. I want to end with this real quick. Isaiah 53. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Or you can just read them up on the screen. 53, verse 3 through 6. It says this, He was despised. He was rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him, and he looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried, and our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was pierced for our sins, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We were prone to wander. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid laid on him the sins of us all. Your sin, my sin, all of our sins, Jesus endured them on the cross to take away our punishment for what we do. The followers in Christ, beloved church, what does that mean for you today? That means that you should live a life of forgiveness and grace. 
you cannot do anything in your life to earn the grace and salvation that Jesus died on the cross for. You can't. Listen, and we are called to be witnesses. We are called to be missional. We are called to go out there. But ultimately, it is Jesus Christ who has to do the work in people's hearts to get them to come and know him. There is nothing you and I can do. We could be the greatest person in the world. Apart from Jesus, we are dead. Let us live lives that praise him today because of it, though. Let us live lives that when we come to church, we sing worship him and we love him and we sing greatness for him. We, we, we just sing passionately for him. When you're throughout your day, may you live a life of praise and worship. When people look at you, they say, that person, he, they're praising Jesus. They have so much love for Jesus. Jesus is ooing out of their bodies, just rolling out. They love him so much. That is why Jesus died for us, so we could be a light for everyone in the community. So that we, they could see the love of Jesus through us. Let's live life. So let's give him the praise that he deserves. Let us not just occasionally come to church, occasionally put off doing things like that, occasionally praising him. Let us do it with just an incredible, intense amount of enthusiasm. I mean, this man bled and died on the cross for you and me. And the least thing we can do is be able to come and worship him with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. It's the least thing we can do. I think about those who have been in church many years. And I just, I, I look at people and I'm just, I'm, I'm so impressed at how they have endured a lifelong commitment to the body of Christ. And then I look at those of us, and some of us are just not there yet. I'm telling you this as your pastor, we need to get there. But we have to make church a priority. We have to make the body of believers a priority. I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the family in Christ. I'm talking about each other. Are we living for each other? Are we loving each other? Are we reaching out for each other? Are we checking in on each other? Are you praying for those who are across the room here today? Do you even know the names of the people across the room here today? If our Father, Jesus Christ, could hang on the cross, the least thing we can do is walk across the room and introduce ourselves. Amen? We need to do more of that. We need to love the widows. We need to reach out to those who don't have fathers. We need to love those who are in need. We need to love the ones who are going through divorce and hardships. We need to love the ones who struggle with sin. We need to love the ones who struggle with, with heartache and, and differences. We need to reach out to the elders of the church and learn from the elders of the church and teach us what have you endured, what have you gone through. And the elders of the church, you need to look at the youth of the church and say, can I get that fire like, I, like you have? Can I be on this fire for Jesus like you are? We need each other. Let us live lives that reflect his glory. Like when people look at you, do, do you reflect the glory of God when people look at you? Do you reflect the glory of God when people look at you and say, that person is the glory of God. I see Jesus in that person. Do you live a life that reflects that? Let us be a church that understands grace. We are not perfect. No one in this room is. We all have messed up in, in crazy ways, but we all have received God's grace. We need it daily. Let us be a church that understands that it is not by our own doing, but on, by, by, the, by the death of Jesus on the cross that we are saved. Let us marvel in the fact that our Savior came 
suffered and died for each and every one of us here in this room today so that you can live a life that is above yourself, so you can live a life that is a purpose, so that you can live a life that means something at the end of your life. May you be Christian who lives like one. May the death of Jesus Christ in your life not be for nothing. Let's pray. My God, we just, uh, Lord, we stand in awe of your son Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us that day at Calvary. Lord, forgive us. Father, forgive us. And we just be bold enough to say that today. Father, forgive us for taking the cross lightly. May we be bold enough to say, Father, forgive us for we not have been living the way that you have died for us to live. Father, forgive us for being selfish in our desires at times. Father, forgive us for being prideful at times. Father, forgive us for being selfish in, in what we want. Father, forgive us for seeking out other idols in this world other than you, Lord. Father, forgive us for, for finding comfort in the arms of other people versus finding comfort in the arms of an almighty, loving Savior, the perfect man for us here today. Father, forgive us for not worshiping you with everything that we have in all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. Father, forgive us for always turning our eyes away from you. And Father, forgive us. Forgive us for taking the cross for granted at times. Father, I pray that you would just endure with us. You would just long suffer with us and your patience would be well in us. That even though we may stray from the cross at times, that, but there are other times where we come running to the cross, Lord. Lord, I pray that we go running to the cross today. If you have strayed from the cross, if you have strayed from that, from that area where you have the, the, the grace of Jesus flowing on you, may you just go back to him today. May you live a life that reflects the glory of God. When people look at you, may they see the glow of God's glory on your face. And may the blood of Christ that was poured out at Calvary be on your head, be on your hands and all over you as a sign of God's love for you. May we go out this week and may we live it. Father, I pray for everyone who is here today, including myself, who has strayed at times. Lord, we are not perfect people, but you are a perfect God. We are not perfect people. We make mistakes, Lord, but we continue to come back to you. Thank you, Lord, for accepting us time and time again. Lord, we just praise you so much. We love you, Lord. Lord, I pray for this Easter service that's coming up. Lord, may you fill this room with the lost and the broken. May you fill this room with those who are seeking you. Lord, may your presence be upon this room. May your anointing be in this presence right now. May your anointing be on everyone in this room today who will go out, Lord, and live out the gospel to bring people back, to share the gospel with them in their homes, at their places of business, on their times off, wherever they're at, in their classrooms, in their schools. May they bring the gospel from you to them. And Lord, may you connect them to a community that loves them that will turn them from strangers into friends. 
and eventually from friends into your family. God, we lift up these requests to you today. We love you so much, Lord. We rejoice in what you have done. May we rejoice and may we sing shouts of praise for all that you have done, Lord. For you are better, Lord. Jesus is better and you are greater than anything that comes against us. May we sing shouts of praises for that. It's all of God's name. In God's name, all the people said, amen. Let's worship one more time.